Uh, take your Bibles, if you would, go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we find ourselves today as we go through the book of 1 Timothy together. First Timothy 4. <clears throat> we see here so far in Timothy, Paul's been instructing the church on what the true church is. Uh, he's talked about worship, talked about leadership, talked about the, the work that is to be done, preserving the word of God. And in our verses this morning, Paul lays out a warning. And it's a warning to the church, and I want us all to hear this warning this morning, that some will depart from the faith. This should be a sobering thought. It should be something that we think about, that there are those in the church, even with us now, those in the church who worship with us on Sunday mornings, those who serve alongside of us maybe in different ministries or whatever it might be, those who we love who one day may choose to not be here anymore. And I don't mean just to go to a different church. What I mean is they will choose to not be in the faith anymore, to not believe in God, not trust in God, not live for God. Now, let me note in saying this, I'm not talking about one who loses their salvation. I'm not talking about one who was saved and then decided, I don't want to be saved anymore, and then goes off on their own. It is one who will prove in the end that they were never saved at all. That's what Paul is warning here. It's one who's going to prove that they would not persevere in the faith, that they wouldn't look to Christ for their faith fully. They were able to play the part. They were able to be here and trick us or to uh, make us believe that they were saved. But in the end, it proves not to be true. And like I said, this needs to be a sobering thought in our minds because it's something that we must guard against. It's something we must diligently work on to seek after God, to know God, to know that we are His, and to be assured in this. And so this idea of perseverance is very important, but we need to understand how it is we persevere and what that looks like scripturally, because perseverance can only happen from a true understanding of what God has done for us and what His Word lays out for us. And so follow along with me, if you would, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, the first five verses, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. What we see in verse 1, just diving in, noticing my time, I need to get with it this morning as fast as I can. In verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times. Now we might say, what does this mean, latter times? What, is, what does Paul mean? What time is he talking about? Well, this is a common expression, and what Paul's talking about is he means now. He means even his present day. He's talking about until the return of Christ, until the return of Jesus. He's saying, now 
some will depart from the faith. Now, we know that in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus is talking there, I'm not going to have you turn there this morning, but Jesus says before he returns, there will be those who will depart from the faith. And he speaks of that as a sign of when he will come back. And, and this is true. But what Paul is stating is that throughout time, people are going to leave and depart from the faith. That this is going to happen. And we know that throughout the history of the church, there have been those who have gone astray. I would dare say, if I gave you much time at all right now to think about it, think about those who you know who maybe this is describing. It's a sad thing to think about. People who maybe once sat next to you, or maybe it was a friend at work who was a fellow believer you thought and you guys would talk about the faith but something has changed and now in fact they're very much against God they don't want to have anything to do with God and it breaks your heart to think about that I'm sure we all know people like that people who once went to church all the time and they seem to be so faithful but now you talk to them they don't they don't go to church anymore they really question a lot of stuff and things in their life have really changed they're in a different place maybe they would say and now they've left. They've left the faith altogether. What Paul talks about here, he says, how will they, how will they be led astray? Well, he says something interesting here. He says, notice he said, some will depart from the faith by what? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of, of demons. Now, I put a question on the paper. Who in their right mind would do this? Think about that. Who in their right mind would just say, you know what, I'm going to listen to demons? That's what I want to do now, and so that's where I'm going to go. It really doesn't make a lot of sense here of how this would happen. Just one day sitting in church, trusting in the Bible, the next day, yeah, I've changed my mind, the demon route is what I want to do now. I don't think that's really how it plays out. I don't think that's how it, it goes. Usually, this is a very slow process, and sadly, uh, sometimes whole churches do this together. I want to warn us of that. There are churches who've completely been led astray, and we'll see how this happens more as we continue in our verses. Now, there are some people, and maybe you know some people like this, who say they have come to faith, but then they rather quickly leave the faith, and the reason for that is they start to learn more about the Bible. And as they start to learn more about the Bible, they think, this is crazy, this isn't true, this isn't what I signed up for. You told me Jesus loved me. You told me that he forgave me of my sins. I like that. But now what you're talking about when you get in Scripture, that's not for me. And they quickly jettison out of the place. And so I don't want to say it's always a slow process. I just think that most of the time it is a very slow process. And as what Paul's talking about here, it's, it's a demonic process. It's a demonic process that is taking place that is uh, deceiving, because it says deceitful spirits it is deceiving people into thinking that they are believing the truth when in fact they are not and so as we see in our next verse the way that satan does this isn't by showing himself to somebody or showing some demons to somebody and saying hey trust in us no satan uses false teachers within the church to do this because look what it says in verse two through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now what Paul is referencing here, remember he just talked about leaders within the church, the pastor-elder role, the deacon role. 
He just talked about this, and what he is referencing to is that. But there are those within the church who are insincere, they are liars, and whose consciences are seared, and they are the ones doing the work of Satan, the demonic work, to lead people astray. Sadly, again, this is something we see, is it not? People who are led astray by false teachers of the church all the time. And remember, this was the reason Paul was writing to Timothy, to encourage him to take a stand against the false teachers. He even called a couple out. He says, Timothy, you've got to take a stand against these false teachers that are arising within the church to protect the flock so that they're not led astray by these demonic teachings. And so this is why it's so important for us to follow God's plan in everything, but specifically here in leadership, specifically in who is able to, to teach within the church, right? Who has authority within the church. See, Paul laid out in chapter 3, there are certain qualities that leadership must have, and you need to stick with those very closely. You need to remember that it's the church that calls leaders, that, that sets apart these leaders as God leads them to do that. We also see in Scripture another important thing for leaders to help with this is leaders are never to lead alone. There should be a, a plurality of leadership within a local body to protect the teaching of the church. And that's very important. That's, that's a lot of times where churches go astray, where whole churches go astray, is what happens is they elect a pastor who has charisma. They, they elect a pastor who seems to be an alpha and who can get up there and really get things going, can really stir people up. But what happens too often with those alphas is alphas like to be the alpha. They don't want anybody else around. They don't want anybody questioning them. They don't want anybody helping them with any sort of leadership. And the only people that they're going to surround themselves with are people who agree with what they say. If they don't agree with what they say, what do they do? Well, as the alpha, they kick them out. They get rid of them. And so what happens is there's no accountability at all. And sadly, because the guy was called, not because of how well he knows the word of God, not because of the characteristics that would describe a pastor in chapter 3, but because of his charisma and his ability to attract people. Now all of a sudden his teachings get astray, but there's nobody to hold him accountable. And sadly he starts to lead those people down a path that is completely wrong. And what scripture says here is 100% demonic. Not a small error, a huge error, a demonic error. And it's interesting because Paul would say these, these men, they are insincere liars whose consciences are completely seared. They actually know what they're doing isn't according to Scripture. They know they're twisting it. They know they're lying. They don't really, they don't really care. They have other motives. There, there's other reasons to do what they do. Now, this is important. I mean, when you, when you think about passages like 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, Paul sa or Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I was reading in this verse, I don't remember who was talking about it, but if you ever watch like National Geographic, you ever watch these channels about lions, anybody, I like that a lot. I, I don't know why. It's pleasing to me. 
who does the lion go after? I want you to think about that. Who in the pack does the lion go after? The head of the pack? The fastest one? The strongest one? Absolutely not. The lion looks for the weakest one. Seeks out the weakest one and wants to devour the weakest one. Now I dare say this is what these false teachers are doing. Who doesn't really know their Bible that well? Who is it that I could twist and manipulate the scriptures? They're not going to know any better. They're just going to trust me because I'm on stage. They're just going to believe what I say because that's what they're supposed to do. See, we have to be careful because Satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking to devour anybody he can. And this is a, this is a warning that Peter gives us that we must take very, very seriously. As I had mentioned, Paul here talks about the true motivation of these false teachers. He says they're insincere. Their motivation is not God-centered. But often it is self-centered or even people-centered. They're liars. They know what they teach is not God's word. I already mentioned this. They, they, they would doubt it themselves, but it sounds good. The little, little one-liner that they came up with, I mean, it rhymes, so it must be right. But we know that it isn't true. They have convinced themselves that what they are saying is correct. Now, oftentimes when we read Romans 1, verses 28 to 32, uh, we often think about the people outside of these walls, but I think we have to be careful with that. Because what Paul's warning us here is he's saying there's actually those among you who are not of you. They're there, but one day they probably won't be. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28, 32, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they, know not, they do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now listen, as we think about our culture and read this, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Can I tell you, I saw, I saw on, on Instagram recently, does anybody, I don't think any of you do, maybe, I watch the NBA, I'm a big basketball fan. One of the things that bothers me about the basketball now, you want to know what a big thing is, is before the game, what are people wearing? Why do I care what a basketball player wears to the game? But they have cameras, and it's like, oh, look at his outfit. And I'm like, yeah, but he stinks. I don't care what he wears. Can he score? Can he defend? But it's like this big show now. And they'll walk into the arena with their outfit, and they ask him, well, what are you wearing? And I, I, again, I just think it's ridiculous. Well, you know what I, I've seen the past couple weeks? Do you know churches do this now? Churches do this for their leadership. You see the pastor getting out of his car, Pastor, what are you wearing today? And it's an outfit, and he talks all about it. Comes in and changes for service, wears something different to service. You say, well, you must be talking about somebody who's not known. Oh, no, they got blue checks by their name on Twitter and on Instagram. They are very well-known pastors of churches with multiple campuses, with thousands upon thousands of people who want to listen to them. And then in the message... That same man said, 
There's just so much in Scripture we don't know. You want to ask me if I think gay marriage is okay? How am I supposed to know about that? We don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell us clearly, so I don't have an answer for that. Claiming to be wise. They became his fools. In fact, being okay with the sin that they're actually supposed to be preaching against. You say, well, that's not happening around us. Oh, it is. I don't feel comfortable saying names. But that happens here in our county. Happens here in our churches around us. There's family, there's friends that you know that I have no doubt go to other churches, and these are the churches, and that's what they're teaching. Claiming to be wise, they became his fools. Not only approving the practice, but actually encouraging sin. You say, well, how does this, how does this happen? How do we get to this part? Because they believed in liars whose consciences are seared. And we've allowed these false teachers to become the teachers within the church. And they do this for show. They do this for greed. And they do this for gain. Sadly, too many people have been led astray by false teachers who claim to be men of God. Now, you might be thinking, well, what I need to do then is I need to button myself up. I need to make sure that I do not allow myself to fall in any kind of sin or any sort of trap. And so you think what I'll do is make sure I myself am good enough so that I don't fall into this. But while that's a a decent thought, there's a problem with that because you start to trust in your own self. And that's where we start to get led astray. That's not the answer. For perseverance, the answer is, I will grit my teeth and do it. No, you won't. You won't. You don't have the capability to do that. So let's continue on and see what Paul says for us. Verse 3, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So already... At this point in time in the church, a very early time in the church, there had already been false teachers rising up. And what were they teaching? They They were teaching that you should not get married. And they were starting to teach that there were certain foods that you shouldn't eat. There were foods that you should abstain from and stay away from. What was happening here was they were being taught a Christian asceticism. Okay, what that is, is it's a, I wrote it down, a self discipline and avoidance of certain things. For the sake of higher elevation or, or higher holiness that scripture just simply does not require. So kind of like what I had mentioned of I'll just button myself up. You just, you just get to a higher thing. Don't, don't do these fleshly things. You get and be more holy by abstaining from these certain activities. Even though scripture says nothing of the sort. You see, these false teachers of the day had a Gnostic kind of thought. And what they thought was they thought flesh is bad, spirit is good, therefore avoid all flesh. Anything fleshly, we should just push aside, and anything spiritual is what we should grasp onto. And that's why marriage would get pushed aside. Why? Because marriage is very fleshly. That's how we have more children. Eating is very fleshly. It's what we need to keep going, actually. We eat flesh, right? And so they were saying, yeah, we need to just kind of get rid of this. 
And so this understanding that the earthly things are bad, the heavenly things are what is good. Yet what Paul says here very clearly is he says these things were created by God. Why? To be received with thanksgiving by those who believe. You see, the false teachers were taking something that is good, God-given things, and turning them into sin. And I can't think of anything much worse than that. Taking something that is good and saying, no, this is sin. We already talked about how there's teachers taking sin and saying, hey, this is good. But what these guys were doing was they were taking the good and saying, no, this is sin, and robbing the people of God of the joy that God had for them and the things that he created for them. And that's something that we have to be careful of. Taking something good and calling it bad. And in verses 4 and 5, he continues, right? For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And so what is the correct view then of God's creation? That's what, that's what Paul's getting at here. First, we must remember Genesis 1.31. Remember in Genesis 1.31, it says, And God saw everything that he'd made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now, this was before sin. It was before sin had entered the world, and so God saw creation, and he said, this is good. Well, then sin comes into play. And so now in the world, we have thorns, we have thistles, and a cosmic battle begins. There's a struggle in this creation. Yet, in the midst of this, creation still is good. I think sometimes we need to hear that. I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Animals, plants, the beauty of the creation that God has given us, God's design for marriage, friendships, family structure, food, drink, all of these things are good that God has blessed us with. Are we, I don't know if you're like me, I, I think about what I'm going to eat all the time. It's a very enjoyable thing to eat, especially if it's, if it's good. It's an enjoyable experience or whatever else it might be. It's okay to go on vacation and to see something you've always hoped to see. And there you are standing before it. And for the first time, you're seeing this mountain or whatever it is. There's great beauty there. There's great joy there. Even knowing there's sin in the world, our creation is still a good thing because God created it and said it was good. Now, there are some caveats here on this because in verse 3, remember in 3b it said, for, for what? Who forbid marriage and require abstinence for good. God created to be received with thanksgiving. Who? By those who believe and know the truth. So, and then in verse 5 it talked about made holy how? By, by the word and by prayer. A little later in Titus, in Titus chapter 1 verse 15 it says, To the pure all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. I want you to catch this. This was, this was really big for me in studying this. What God has done for us through redemption, he's also done for us in creation. So now we know in Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about how creation is groaning and waiting for its redemption. And we know this, and we know this to be true because Scripture tells us that there in Romans. Yet, what this is teaching us here is that what God has done for us, for those who've been saved by his grace, 
It says he has made all things holy and pure for us who are redeemed. So we don't have to fear anymore food being sacrificed to idols or food being clean or unclean or whatever that might be. That's not part of our life anymore. That's not part of our walk anymore. Why? Because Christ has set us free from all of this. You might remember the scene in in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 6. It's with Peter. It said, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trap, a trance, and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is uncommon or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. Even Peter was dealing with this. Oh, no, 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 I don't do that. And what's God's response? I've made it clean. Eat it. Take it. Don't feel guilty about this. I've corrected this. We also see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 22 to 33. I know this is a lot of scripture, but I'd rather you hear it than me. Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of their conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And then this is where we get one of the most famous verses that we would all say. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. You might have often wondered, how in the world can I eat or drink to the glory of God? Because I know you know that verse. What does it mean? It means you have to understand that in your redemption, when God redeemed you, he also called his creation good and all things clean. And so he's telling you, enjoy this gift I've given you. Eat. Drink. Enjoy. And don't sit there and have your consciences be all seared. Now remember who this promise is for. It is for the redeemed. Not for the non-redeemed. Not for the unredeemed. It's for us. If there ever was a people who could enjoy the creation that God has given us and actually enjoy it, it's those who've been saved by his grace. But sadly, I think you would agree with me, that has been flipped, has it not? We like to listen to the false teachers that were in the church of Ephesus. Oh, do not eat. Oh, do not enjoy that. I know you're married, but don't enjoy it. No, 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 no. But we look out in the world and what do we say? Man, it looks like they have so much fun. They get to enjoy all this stuff. You see, it's been flipped. It's us who's supposed to enjoy this. 
God has saved us. God has made these things clean. He hasn't just given us rest from our sin, but he's also given us rest from our worry about what we must do in this world of eating and drinking. He's took all of that away for us. And that's what Paul is begging this church to remember. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, he said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. See, Jesus was already talking about it as he walked on this earth. This food is a gift from God made holy. Why? Because I've been made holy through the righteousness of Christ. And so this food is good. Why? Because God has made me good. It's holy because I'm holy. Again, not because of myself, but because of who he is. One might say, so Pastor Tim, you're telling me that we can eat and drink whatever we want. I would say yes, but there is poison. I don't want you to eat poison. There are health codes. We probably should follow those. Therefore, our benefit. I'm not telling you to go and be dumb. But I'm saying we don't have to have our consciences being held because, Tim, did you just drink a Pepsi? Yeah, I did. Did you know they give to LGBTQ causes? Okay. You're trying to bind my conscience. I like Pepsi. Get off my back, right? I mean, or whatever. I don't have to be held by this. Right? I'm, I'm free from this. And so that, I think that's a good gift that God has given us. But we also have to remember, even good things can easily become sinful if we let it. Drunkenness, gluttony, over-excess, greed, all these things we know easily ensnare us. And they are sins according to Scripture. And so we have to be careful to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us in His creation. But not to overly enjoy them to where they start to get into sin. To where it causes us to stumble. Now, we must be careful, though, to not fall into this trap that I was talking about of Christian asceticism. We must not bind our conscience to things it should not be bound to. We cannot establish rules that we think will elevate us some way above other people when Scripture doesn't actually tell us we must do that. I can give you a good example of this. Uh, it was talked about at our men's conference. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible it says you should read the Bible every day? Did you know that? It doesn't. It says know the word of God. But until not too long ago, people couldn't read. So it wasn't a command to read because they, they couldn't read. Now, we have the privilege today of where I'm guessing most of us in this room can read. Most of us in this room have the ability to purchase a Bible. And most of us have the time to actually sit down and read the Bible every day. I think that is a, a wise thing to do. But what I can't do, because Scripture doesn't allow me to do this, I can't say, raise your hand today if you read your, your Bible this week. Okay, all of you raise your hand. Okay, keep your hand raised if you read it three times this week. Bad Christian, bad Christian, bad Christian, bad Christian. Raise, keep your hand raised if you read it seven days this week. Okay, bad Christian, bad Christian, bad Christian. Okay, keep your hand raised though if it was two chapters a day. Till we get down to one. 
And then the one person we bring on stage and say, this is the holiest person here. You should all be like him or her. We can't do that. That is not a litmus test for faithfulness. It is wise to read the Bible over and over and over again. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. We know that by reading it and studying it. But we can't set this up to bind people's consciences. We don't have the right to do that. Scripture doesn't give us that authority or that ability to do it. But I bet you do this in your own life. The days you read the Bible, I bet you go to bed like, nailed it. The days you don't read your Bible, the next day you're like, I didn't read my Bible yesterday. I guess I'll just get a black coffee instead of sugar in it. It's what I deserve. You're binding your conscience to something that it shouldn't be bound to. And so we cannot do that. We cannot establish rules that we think then elevate us amongst other people. But we also must be faithful to our brothers and sisters and not lead them into temptation. We have to think about that as well. This is the last section of verses I want to read this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4-13. through 13. It says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Therefore, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now listen, we all struggle in this, and I want all of us to hear this this morning. There are some of you here this morning, and according to these verses, you would always be labeled the weaker brother. Everything leads you astray. Everything bugs you. If you see somebody in Meyer and they're walking down the aisle that sells alcohol, you instantly judge them. They don't even have it in their cart, but they're in that aisle. And it drives you crazy. And it's causing you to stumble. And you're, you, just, you just, it's everything, whatever it might be. You, you're at the movie theater. You're, you're eating this kind of food. You're doing this. You went to that concert. You did that. Everything in your mind is leading you astray. And it's, you're struggling through other people. You have to stop. You have to be strengthened. It's time for you to grow. And I say that lovingly. You have to grow in your faith. And now, this is why I said earlier, 
You can't just grit your teeth and get better. It doesn't work that way. What you need is you need to be strengthened through the word and through prayer. It's the only way it can be done. You have to be in the word of God knowing what it says. Knowing what Christ has done for you. Knowing how he has set you free. And this is where a lot of us struggle. I'm this way too. Knowing he set them free too. See, I love that God sets me free. But a lot of times it bugs me that he set you free. And you get that way too. But he has. He's set us free. And it's not our job to police. It's not our job to nitpick. Yes, we're supposed to love our brothers and sisters. We're supposed to encourage them. We're supposed to hold them accountable. But we need to know who we are in Christ and who they are in Christ. And so if you're constantly struggling in your sin over and over and over again, whatever it might be, and you are always seem to be the one in the weaker position that Paul is talking about here, I would encourage you to strengthen yourself up. Be strengthened. Be in the word of God. Be at church. Be, be in Bible study. Be in Sunday school. Know what it says. And through much prayer, I believe God helps us to grow. We all have those experiences as Christians, if you've been it very long, where God has allowed us to grow in our strength so that we don't struggle with things. So like for some of you, it could be something as easy as language. Right? You, you, you used to have horrible language and you know it wasn't God honoring. And so when you get into a situation where you hear that, it's really tough on you. It's really difficult on you. But maybe now, 20, 30 years removed, you found that when you hear that, it rolls right off. You know it's not right, but you're not gonna struggle with it anymore. What happened? God strengthened you. And you should praise him for that. He's allowed you to become stronger and to not fall into temptation. But on the flip side, there's some of us in here, some of you in here, you always seem to be the stronger. And what you do is you look at the weaker and you say, grow up, instead of loving them. It was interesting what Paul said there. If I have to never eat meat again, I'll never eat it again to cause one of my brothers to stumble. Just after saying, just after saying, hey, you have the right to eat the meat. There's no other gods but the one God. They can sacrifice to that piece of wood all they want. It doesn't mean anything. Eat the meat. But then at the end he says, but if it's going to cause someone to be led astray, let me never eat meat again. He doesn't say grow up. He's taught them the truth. But he doesn't then yell at them to, hey, grit your teeth and bear it. Yeah, I'm eating this meat. You should too. Have a bite. doesn't do that. But for the sake of his brothers and sisters, in his Christian freedom, he shows compassion and patience for those he loves. I think this is something in our Christian faith that people have forgotten. All of a sudden, Christian freedom got really big again, I don't know, 10 years ago, eight years ago. This idea of Christian freedom, you would hear it all the time. Hey, don't, don't weigh me down. I have this in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I can do this. I can do this, whatever it might be. And it was like, okay, that's, that's good and fine, but man, you're really beating people over the head with it. You don't really seem to love people. You don't really seem to care. What it, what it looks like is you love yourself and you love that Christ loves you, and that's it. 
No, as the stronger one here, we would care for our brothers and sisters. We would recognize their weaknesses and their struggles. And although we don't agree with it, although our conscience isn't bound to that, we would bind it in that instance for the sake of our brothers and sisters' conscience. We would love them and care for them in that way by showing them that kind of compassion. So we have to be careful. Well then lastly, I would say all of us in here have set up for ourselves holiness benchmarks as I call them to prove ourselves to God and to others. Things like church attendance, things like Bible reading as I already mentioned, observance of certain holy days, not observing certain holy days, things we will or will not consume, whatever it might be, you can do this in your own life. I'm sure as I talk, you know what yours are. Let us, as we read this passage this morning, find our freedom in Jesus and nothing else. Let us not find our freedom in what we eat or what we drink, but in him. Let us find our freedom not in the fact that we've never missed an Easter service or a Christmas service or we come all the time on Sunday morning. Let's not find our freedom in that. Let's find our freedom in Christ. Because I have no doubt that as we find and realize our freedom is in Christ, guess what then happens naturally? We probably will read our Bible. (laughs) We naturally will want to be at church. We naturally will want to be with our brothers and sisters in the Lord to encourage them, to be there for them. We'll naturally have compassion on our weaker brothers. We'll we'll naturally grow and be strengthened by Christ because that's what he does for us. It's amazing to think that God has made eating a reminder of how weak we are. As we eat, you guys are all thinking about it, and as we go and eat soon, I want you to remember why you're eating. Number one, you're eating because if you don't, you'll die. That's how weak you are. If you don't eat, you'll die. Some of you will last longer than others. Okay? But if you don't eat, you're going to die. That should show your frailty. But also this. As you eat, I want you to remember this. There's only one reason you're eating. And that is because your creator is allowing you to eat at that moment. Some of you are going to go to restaurants that are very nice and eat very good food. Some of you are going to go home and eat a bologna sandwich, which is poison. Don't eat that. But regardless of what you're eating... It is a good gift that God has given to you, that the Creator has bestowed upon you. And this is why it is so common for Christians to pray before they eat. We're not praying that God will take this food and use it in our body, which we say so much. You know what we're actually doing? We're praying to thank Him that we have food today and that we are free to eat it. We're not bound by anything but we have the privilege to eat this food today with a completely clear conscience knowing that our good Father has blessed us again with a meal to sustain us. And that's how much he loves us. And when you drink your drink, same thing. Thank you, God, that I get to drink this drink you have given me today. That's why we pray. We pray to take a second to recognize the one who's given us freedom 
to eat our lunch today or to eat our dinner or to eat our breakfast and to thank him that God, not only have you removed my sin from me, not only have you forgiven me of my past, my present, and my future sins, you are so good to me to allow me to sit here and enjoy this meal. Not with a heavy conscience, not worried that what I eat might send me to hell, but to know that you have freed me to enjoy your goodness. Don't we have a good God? I mean, we would minimize that so often, but we shouldn't minimize that. He is so good to us that when he says, I will give you rest, it actually means it completely, even in what we eat and what we drink. Complete rest so that our consciences are not bound up. Well, I'm going to ask if you would, bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. I don't know how you need to respond to the word of God. I hope that you will respond, though, how he calls you to respond this morning. But I want to bow and pray, and then Dave and them are going to come and close us with the song as well. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how good you are to us. God, watch over us, please. How the beginning of this chapter started with some will depart from the faith devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars who conscience are seared. God, please let that not happen here. Guard us and protect us so that your word would be center. So that your word would be the central aspect of our worship. Be the central aspect of who we are. Help us to never think that we've elevated ourselves to a point to where we don't need that. To where we begin to trust in our own man-made rules. Where we start to bind people's consciences. Where we start to add or we start to chip away at little things in Scripture just because it doesn't fit with the times or it doesn't fit with how I feel. God, help us to stay true to your word. Help me to stay true to your word as the one who's most often standing and teaching and preaching in this pulpit. I don't want to be the liar that's talked about there. I don't want to do this for self or for greed or for some sort of gain. Help me to do this for the right reasons. Help us as a church to hold our pastors accountable to that as well. But God, as we get down towards the end of that verse, we see the freedom that you've given us. As Paul would confront those false teachers who are forbidding marriage and who are forbid, forbidding certain things to eat. God, we see the freedom that we have in Jesus. God, I thank you for the creation that you've given us. I thank you that we get to enjoy it, that we can find things pleasing within it. The feeling of the sun, the warmth that it gives us, the taste of food that you've given us or drink that you've given us. God, these are things that we enjoy and we thank you that we're allowed to enjoy them. Help us not to be led to sin in those good things, but to do all those things for your glory, as it said in Corinthians. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. So God, I pray that we would be thankful for the good gifts that you continually to pour out on us. Thankful that because you've made us holy, you've made us righteous through Christ, that nothing can defile us that goes in the body. 
And so God, help us to remember that. Help us to remember who you are this week. Help us to honor you. God, as we sing this song, help us to respond to your word how we should, whether that's through confession of sin, whether that's through just a time of thanksgiving, of bowing our heads and praying and thanking you for how good you are. God, whatever that might be, I pray that we would respond how we should. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.